So Norma, would you close our time in prayer um, and then pray for our time in the word and in fellowship today. God, we are so thankful that you have given us the Holy Spirit, God, to to live according to your will. You have given us the strength to to endure. God, I pray to Jesus that we will continue to walk habitually in the Spirit and not gratify the desire of the flesh. Jesus, I thank you that your mercy is new every morning, that your love endure forever, that you are merciful and kind, Lord Jesus, that you are holding your wrath, God, because you love us and you're still giving us time to repent, to turn to you, Lord Jesus, because that you worthy declare, Father God, is your desire that no one should perish, but they will come to repentance, my God. So, Lord, we are so thankful that you have rescue us from darkness and we are walking in the light because of you not because anything that we have done but because what you did and that cross father god so help us to keep walking with you every day lord jesus lord and uh, we are thankful for this time together that you have given us god that we can come together and worship you in spirit and truth father god lord jesus i pray that we will be attentive to the leader of the holy spirit god i pray that you give my brother the strength to uh to preach exactly what you already have placed in his heart, Father God. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we will be uh, doers of the word of God, Father God, that we listen and we will be obedient to do exactly what you promised to do, God. So we thank you. We give this time to you, Holy Spirit. We give this time to you, my Lord, my Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray that you will speak to us today. And we will be pleased with this time together, Lord Jesus. We thank you.
calling on the Holy Spirit. Almighty river, come and fill me again. Let that be your prayer tonight. Come and fill me Come and fill Come and fill
Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your presence, Lord. We thank you, God, that, Father, those who are in Christ are free. Your word says, God, that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. We thank you for your deliverance, Father. We thank you, God, for your healing. We thank you for your peace and for your grace and for your mercy, Father. We thank you, God, just again for a new day and how your mercies are new each morning. And Father, I pray, God, as we open up your word today, Father, that we would be attentive, Father, to to respond, Lord, as the Holy Spirit leads and guides and directs us as your word is going forth. We thank you, Father, that your word is active, it is alive, it is the living word. You are the word, Jesus. And so, Father, we thank you, God, that you, Lord, have redeemed us. Father, that you, Lord Jesus, have opened our eyes and our ears to hear. And, Father, if there's any who may listen to this at a later time or even among us today, Lord Jesus, who are not in Christ, I pray, O God, then today would be the day of salvation, that the word of the Lord would penetrate their hearts, God, the Holy Spirit would bring conviction and harvest them, Lord, unto salvation, that they would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. And so, Father, we thank you that it's your will that none should perish, and that you are pleased to reveal yourself to us, Father, through your Son, Jesus. Father, you are the author and the perfecter of our faith. And so, Father, may this time be a time that glorifies you, Lord. And, Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Community, two definitions. A group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common or a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. And as we've been hearing over the past almost seven months now, Jesus is the center of the Christian community. Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the Word, and it's vital that we are abiding in Christ, because apart from Him, we can do nothing. And it's also important that we have a desire to gather together as He calls us together. And as I mentioned last week, the lack of fellowship with the church or in the church is because there's a lack of fellowship with Christ. If we are in fellowship with Christ, if we have an intimate relationship with Christ, we will long not only to fellowship with Him, but to fellowship with the church community. Because we ultimately know that we collectively are His body, He is the head. So when we come together, we're coming for the sole purpose of acknowledging Him, worshiping Him, hearing from Him, growing in Him, encouraging each other, edifying each other, and building each other up so that when we go forth out into our community at large, we are His representation. We represent Christ. We are His ambassadors. We go being His hands and His feet, serving and loving these other communities, bearing witness of His resurrection power, sharing the gospel. And oh, how I've been encouraging us over the past years. It's getting darker. 
but the church is to get brighter so that we are go out into the world world and burn bright among them. And like I said last week, just a little ember can set a blaze. And oh, how I pray that we are burning bright. If not, fan the flame. Because we have to be out there. We, we've got to go forth and declare the good news. We've got to take ground. And not only take it, but maintain it. We're called to go forth to plant and to water the seed and knowing that the Holy Spirit would harvest it. The Bible says that the, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Oh, but may we be effective laborers in the harvest. We only can be effective as we are in Christ. Jesus says, abide in me, remain in me. To, to understand the call of a disciple is not just to come to church when it, we feel as if we can show up. No, it's a call to deny yourself, to pick up your cross, and to follow Him. This life, this new life in Christ is not even based on us. It's based on Christ. And so if we're lacking in Christ, we're lacking in growth. And we will be swept away by demonic teaching. Especially in these last days. As I've shared with you over and over, the way we've done church cannot be done that way any longer. The times have shifted. The times have changed. The church needs to be equipped and prepared to live in the generation that she is in now and is entering into. A generation where such great deception, there's always been deception, but it's growing at a greater level, again, because it's preparing the platform for the Antichrist to step out. And so if the, if the level of deception is rising, if the level of the occult practices are rising, if the level of perversion is rising, if the level of murder and strife and, and selfishness and gossiping and backbiting, if all of that is rising, the church cannot be dim. It's not time to retreat. It's not time to be stuck in our own past, wallowing around with our own insecurities and our issues. In our struggles, the devil's got us chasing our own tail. We can't even enter in a spiritual battle because we haven't even won the war with our own flesh. Yes. I mean, do, when you read Scripture, do you not hear it? You put to death those evil desires within. You be a doer of the Word. And not just a hearer of the word. You do. But not in your own strength. But in the power of God. The spirit of God in us. To accomplish what God has purposed us. But if we're just stuck and trapped on our struggles. Our issues. Our anger problems. Our frustrations. Our lusts. Our insecurities. 
then we're going to remain ineffective. And we're going to be open season for the enemy. To be snatched away. (laughs) To be enticed by doctrines of demons. I mean, all this week I've been meditating and praying through the, 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 the seeds that are being planted and the soil in which the seeds are planted. And you think, and I've talked about it before, the soil of the heart and how the Word, the Bible says that the Word is sown in each of these soils, but because the, soils, the soil wasn't right, Like it was choked out, it was snatched out. I mean, the Bible says that they received the word. And some even had joy in it. But as soon as the trials or as soon as life just happened, it chokes it out. But it's the one with the good soil, the heart of good soil that receives, that it takes root and it produces something in our lives. And it's lasting fruit. So the enemy has done a number on Christians, keeping them, chasing their tails. Just around the same circle, over the same issues, over and over and over and over and over and over. And expecting a different result. And the, and the world says that's insanity. That's, you're insane. If you keep doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting a, a different result. But that's how the enemy has the majority of people who are calling themselves Christians. And like I said, we, so many times we want to point our fingers at the church. We want to point our fingers... At pastors, we, we want to just just lob, you know attack left and right, but the reality is no. Like it's you, it's Christians who have allowed this to take place, who have been lulled asleep, and instead of knowing Christ and in intimate fellowship with Christ and knowing what we have and what has been given to us and who has been given to us in Christ. That we would get up as a community of believers with the common interests, with the same characteristics, living in harmony and unity and getting up each day claiming victory in Christ. Not only for our own lives, but for the lives of our families, the lives of our neighbors, the, the lives of our co-workers. That we are actually living it out. Instead of just doing a lot of talk, a lot of this and a lot of that, and then expecting something to be different. No, the reality is that Christ transforms us. We are a new creation. I mean, even from the the conception of the church, the mark of a true believer is transformation. Transformation, a new identity. They weren't feasting off the old. They weren't weren't feasting off who they were. 
No, they, they know that they've been changed. They, they have had an encounter with the resurrected King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and it changed them forever. You cannot be in the presence of Jesus and not be changed. And if that's how you're living, then something is wrong. Again, the spirit of deception. I mean, we see with the, with the overturning of Roe versus Wade in our country and life being preserved. That there's so many people, not so much the loss. The loss, think what they think. They react how they're going to react. But when we see how the enemy creeps into these religious institutions are people who call themselves Christians. And they align themselves with, with destroying life. <laughs> They're not Christians. Like Jesus himself says, you're either for me or you're against me. And God is the author of life. And who would claim to be a Christian and yet want to destroy life? How does that even make sense? And so you see the deception that is running amok in the land. And not just with abortions, but with everything that comes from the flesh. But praise be to God that those who have experienced abortions, those who have experienced any sin in their life, because we were all born sinners, there is a redemptive work in Christ. And he says, I remember them no more. If we repent, if we genuinely, genuinely repent of our sins, like we are forgiven. Like he doesn't even remember them as far as the east is to the west. And just think about that as we think of our community, uh, the freedom that we have when we come together knowing that we have been forgiven. It, it's a common trait. It's a characteristic that marks us. We are a forgiving people, a liberated people. And yet so many of us are still shackled to the sin that was behind us. And we're not liberated. We're hung down, beat up, discouraged. But that's not how a Christian is supposed to live. The enemy taunts us. We remind ourselves over and over who we once were. And we're stuck in this weird shame, condemnation cycle. Again, it's that vicious cycle that we do ourselves. It's not even the enemy. It's not even the world. It's the flesh. And until we consider ourselves dead... And made alive in Christ until we can say, oh no, old nature, you have been nailed to his cross. See, you got to talk to your old self. It is at war with your new self. And that's why it's vital that you're growing. That's why it's vital that we're coming in as a community. And we're freed people, we're liberated, we're forgiven. And so that the people who are still shackled in shame and condemnation... That they can see that there's something different. I know your past, but there's something different about you. 
What is it that you have that I don't have? Because I see that you're maintaining in this world of chaos. But there's something different about you. See, they should see something different. And then it's not anything of us. It's not a 12 steps that changed us. No, it's Jesus Christ. It's the power of the resurrected Son of God. Like He changes us. This is what we witness. This is what we bear. We bear His image to a dying world. That's why we don't go out and point your crooked finger at them. Oh, but we must share the gospel with them. And we will be, and we will be hated. And as the times are getting more and more chaotic upon this earth, understand that's why we cannot continue to do it as we've done it. We have got to prepare ourselves again for the season that we're in and the season that we're entering. That we will uphold a standard. I read this incredible devotion the other day. The Pastor Jack Hayford is based off Ephesians 4, verse 16. Joined and knit together, edifying love. He says, years ago I was part of a reserve military training program. I was taught how a small team of soldiers, a squad, was to move forward in enemy territory. Each man had an assigned place in formation following the lead soldier. We were to proceed in such a way that we covered one another. Each soldier was responsible to maximize the safety and security of the others in the squad. That is the essence of the New Testament submission in relationships. It has nothing to do with reducing one another, but everything to do with protecting each other, being sensitive to one another, being sensible and serving in our relationship to one another. Joined and knit together. This is the community of believers. And when we're seeing such a, uh, an eruption of chaos. And those who are claiming Christ. Siding with evil. Listen, it's nothing new under the sun. As I said last week, you wonder how you get here. I mean, we, we we're studying through the Old Testament. We, we're studying Israel. We've seen God move in and out. God, God redeemed them and God called them out as His own. And yet He wasn't enough for them. And now where we're at is that they're totally gone from him and they're mixing other worship and idols and they're making doing sacrifices and they're building other altars and they're just running amok and you say how did we get here so far so fast the same within our nation the nation that once was held held truth to the word of god and had a desire to send others to preach the gospel now we're in a, in a time in our nation since the nation was birthed where we are the most godless. How do we get here so far? Same with our lives. 
We love God, we're, we worship God, we, we desire God has done something in our lives, but all of a sudden we don't have time for Him, we don't have time for community, we're so, we're, we don't even in, invest in being transparent in front of each other or before God, we, we just put on a show. And yet our lives are a mess. And we wonder, how did we get here so far and so fast? of the flesh it's that sin nature that says I'm God it's the world system that influences us it's the enemy ultimately who is our father because we're not redeemed I have heard over this past week or so of of, of People who say that they're pastors or Christian leaders. And listening to them, I'm like, why don't those people walk out? What on earth is happening? They're God. And then you just see Christians, again, so-called Christians, Siding with this, siding with that, living godless lives, but yet thinking that they have a right relationship with God. You see, that is the greatest level of deception. I've told you before, it's so sad there's so many people in hell for eternity that has hymns on their lips. (laughs) Scriptures in their heart. (laughs) And yet, no relationship with God. No intimacy. Nothing. And it's not God. It's us. We're in error. God's not in error. And that's why it's vital that we are promoting Christ. We are promoting community. We're promoting, you know, coming together. Yes, the lost are welcomed. The struggling are welcomed. But we're not just going to stamp everyone a Christian when they're not Christians. We've got to stop talking to each other and talking to people as if they're saved. When there's no fruit in their lives. We are actually doing a disservice. We are actually those that the Bible warns about. It's best you tie a millstone around your neck. Because we, you have to stand before God. And you have the opportunity to speak truth. You have the opportunity to love them enough to speak truth. Sure, they're going to hate you. Sure, they may re- re- react or whatever. But that's why I keep telling you, we have got to care more about people's eternities than their temporalness. We, we just can't peddle a soft word. Just, oh, it's not cute. Just pat people on the back and send them off and say, well, Holy Spirit, I sure hope you, you helped them and delivered them. And he says, I did. I brought them to you so that you can speak truth. You're my hands and my feet. And yet you've turned them over yet again. 
See, we've got to wake up in the day and age in which we're living. We've got to be the people of God who uphold the standards of God, first for ourselves and then for each other. I love how they protect each other, how they move behind enemy lines and they're looking out for each other. That's how we're to be. Full submission in relationship, first with Christ and then with each other. Community. Here's some scriptures I want to encourage us in. 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 10. But you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, and as a result, you can show others, oh, hear this, the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. I'm going to go on through verse 12. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. That's, again, your part, (laughs) but not in your strength. (laughs) Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when He judges the world. Oh, that we would just sit on that and meditate upon that and hear the word of the Lord today and then act upon it. How do you take these scriptures that were just read and apply them to your life when you're out and about, when you're interacting with others instead of giving your flesh the opportunity Crucify it and live out what you've received if you are a Christian. The Spirit of God in you, living through you, to respond. See, we're not like those who who have not been redeemed. We are a redeemed people. That needs to be what our characteristics are. That needs to be the mark of our lives. And if if it's not, then... Don't beat yourself up and waller around. Recognize it and do some war. Do some warfare. So many times we're out trying to tear down strongholds over everyone else's life. And we can't even do them on our own. And that is a huge mistake. That is a huge mistake. Because before we can advance outward, we've got to deal with here. We got to rid the enemy here and here. 
And we got to know who we are. And the identity of, of, of who we are because we belong to Him. That'll change the way you think. And as you think, so you go. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25 through 27. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Again, community, 1 Peter. Let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4, verse 8 through 11. Actually, let's start at verse 7. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Earnest and disciplined in your prayers. The end of the world is coming soon. Do you realize how long ago that was written to the church? God is patient his mercy has been extended. (laughs) Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home (laughs) with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Cheerfully do it. Not grumble, not complain. Not carry on about your schedule and your time, but cheerfully do it. God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God Himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ, all glory and power to Him forever and ever. Amen. These aren't new scriptures. We, I'm cycling through the scriptures over and over and over. All through this year, we've heard this before, but you have to really be honest in your, in, in, in your own self-estimation of what are you doing with this. Because do you realize you're going to have to give an account Think about that. The Bible says it's best that you've never known then to know and do nothing with it. (laughs) I mean, think about that. So when you hear these scriptures, how have you been applying them? We're we're in six months into this year. How has the desire for, for community been increasing? Again, as I said earlier, for those who have not a desire for community... For those who just come in and come out and here and there and up and down and everywhere else, it's when it fits them. (laughs) That's a lack of intimacy with Christ. Their intimacy with Christ is scattered. 
And so it starts here. And then the desire is here. And so we're in this for almost six months now. And you've got to ask yourself when you hear this, how, is it, how are you cultivating the truth that you're hearing so that the soil of your heart is good soil to receive it so that it's producing something within you? And then if you haven't seen the change, then ask for it. Like, God, help me. Like, God, I'm, I'm, I hear, but I just don't want to keep hearing God. I want to do. Because if I'm not doing, then I ultimately will hear something that is wrong. And I will begin to start believing doctrines of demons, which will lead me further and further from you. I mean, do we understand the times in which we're in? The great falling away. There's a lot of religion. There's a lot of religious people. I mean, let's talk about the Israelites and we'll get the first kings in a little bit. But they were holding on. Even though they were adding to their faith, even though they were sacrificing their children on altars and having sex with temple prostitutes, even though they were doing all of this stuff, they still believed they were God's people. They would still do their stuff as well. Have their festivals. The priests will continue. The priests kept doing what the priests were assigned to do. And they thought they were okay. And as it was then, so it is now. A lot of people doing religious stuff. Looks right, sounds right. But it's not right. It's demonic. It's doctrines of demons. And people are being swept away. And so you have to ask yourself, Am I truly living it, God? Do I truly get it? That the end of the world is coming. And in your grace and in your mercy and in your compassion, God, you would please to reveal yourself to me. I recognize that I was a sinner, I was a complete rebellion towards you. God, I've humbled myself before you. I've received such great salvation just to keep living my own life and doing me and doing me and doing me and doing me and doing me. That's not a Christian. It's not a Christian. Your life is to be producing. Your life is to remain in step with the Spirit of God who has gifted you to purpose you to do the will of God in this day and age in which you were purposed to be in. Like you realize that. 
And so you have to ask yourself, when we're talking about community, when we're talking about doing life, when, when we're talking about living this out together, and then going out, and not just remaining in, but then going out and advancing His kingdom. Yet though, this earth is darkened. We're light bearers. This is the way. This is the way. Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 12. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Oh, how we need each other. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. The next portions of scriptures I wanted to share are scriptures that I hope would encourage you this week as I pray that you go and you study them, you are equipped to live them out. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for training in righteousness. Oh, how I pray that we understand that. Like again, we are living in a day and age of great filth. Great sin, great deception, and we just can't roll out of bed and just humdrum through our day and just get caught up in everything and anything that's out there. Like, we have to be on point, on purpose. Like, God Almighty, we are claiming that we are marked and sealed until the day of redemption via the Holy Spirit. And that's why we can't live a life that grieves the Spirit. But we're living a life that is honoring Him. And so we just can't get up in this evil days and just aimlessly walk around in circles. We have got to be attentive to what's going on in here and what's going on in here. We have got to take the Word of God and use it to train us into righteousness, into living right, not in our own strength, but in the power of God. Again, we are serving the resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of us. And if we understand that, then how... Are we accessing it to live it? Well, it's not going to be based on ourselves. It's going to be based on a sincere devotion to Christ. 
and in obedience as the Spirit of God is leading us. Greater works we are to be doing. It is His kingdom. It is His purpose. It is via His power all for His glory. And so we are to be in the Word, to be trained up in righteousness. That's why we're called to put on the armor. That's why we're called to to engage in warfare. It's why we're called to understand that which is waging war against our very soul, the flesh, the world system, and Satan. And you think you're just going to give up and humdrum through your day? Oh, God, no. You got to be taking every thought captive. You got to be praying without ceasing. You got to be you got to remain alert and guard what's been entrusted to you. Stop easily laying down and being ravaged by all these wolves and all these other lovers that we give ourselves to. No, we are to be a pure people. We are to be a holy people. Set apart for God. You see, when we came to Jesus, we died to our old selves. So what right are you giving yourself to live for yourself? No, no. You are a dead woman. You are a dead man. And dead people have no rights. And so we've got to get to a place where Christians are being reminded It's not about your best life now. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about preparing for our bridegroom's return. It's about going out and and living it out among the enemies of God. Knowing that you are going to be hated. Knowing that you are going to be pushed out of society. Because they hate Him. And we have conditioned the church. I've heard some incredible pastors that I admire over the past couple of days. And I listen and I go, God, you believe what you're saying. And it sounds loving. I mean, it really does. Oh, it sounds so compassionate. But I'm like, brother, get a backbone. Like, get a backbone. What you're saying is so deceptive. What you're saying is lulling people to sleep, giving them a right when they need to be awakened. In the hour in which we're in, love them enough to preach the gospel, to share truth. Many may leave the few that are left, equip them. Care for them. Because you keep letting all those others sit among them. And it'll spoil. The fruit will spoil. And it'll become rotten. I understand the need to to, to want to be but we have to, the reality is we have to look at Jesus. He's our example. Yes, he was compassionate. Yes, he hung out with sinners. 
But listen, he never denied who he was. And he didn't do what they were doing. (laughs) He revealed he, he was who he was. He called them to repentance. He served them in hopes that they would awaken. He understood the the spiritual war that was taking place. And that's why he got stern with the religious leaders. Because you're making them twice as much the son of hell as you are. And so there's a way to be as innocent as a dove and wise as serpents as we are going forth each and every single day. But oh, how I pray that you hear these next few scriptures and they awaken a hunger for righteousness, a thirst and a hunger, a deeper thirst and a deeper hunger for righteousness, for training, so that it can be applied. And so 2 Timothy... Chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. I'm sorry? Yeah, 17. The dangers of the last days. And yet this was written to Timothy. This is for us. God sealed it in his word for you. So you should know this. That in the last days there will be very difficult times for people who love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. Hear this. People of God, they will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from such people like that. They are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win with the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. These teachers oppose the truth just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. They have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith. But they won't get away with this very long. Someday everyone will recognize what fools they are, just as with Janus and Jambres. But you certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know how much love, I'm sorry, you know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystris. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus 
will suffer persecution. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. But you, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. Again, you must remain faithful. You have a responsibility. Again, not in of your own self, but in the, in the dependence of, upon the Holy Spirit and the obedience to Christ. You know they are true. You know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in God or in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and, what, and to make us realize what is wrong. Look at that. In our lives. Not in everyone else's lives, but in your life. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare. God uses it to what? Prepare and what? Equip the people or his people to do every good work. And so you have to ask yourself what your week's been like. What your morning's been like. What, what your walk in Christ is like. I pray it's like Christ. <laughs> this is the condition of the world. It's nothing new. And it's just ramping up. Ramping up. Ramping up. <laughs> I mean, do you remember Cornelius last week? We'll hear a little bit more about him this week. He was a God-fearing man, but he wasn't saved. Can we understand that? There's a lot of God-fearing people. They're not saved. You can pretend they are. You, you can stand at their casket and pretend that they're in heaven. But the reality is, just because they fear God doesn't mean that they're saved. Their salvation only comes through Jesus. And God... In his great love and in his great mercy sent Peter to Cornelius to share the gospel so that Cornelius, Cornelius and his household could be saved through Christ. We've got to wake up and understand the times and the days that we're in. If it was for then... We can only imagine thousands of years later how more wicked and more evil it is. And we think we can just get up and pretend. Get up and put on a show for God. Get up and, and just say and do and say and do. And it's no truth at all. Because there's no change. They're deceived. And they're deceiving others. And I've always said the greatest deception is not that you're putting on a show for everyone else. <laughs> it's that you've put it on for yourself and you believe it. Oh, how we must get upon our knees and cry out to God. And saying, God, 
I want to be corrected. I want to know how to live right. I want to know how to walk upright in the midst of a wicked and a perverse generation. And not just go along with them. I want to know, God, what it's like to desire more of you than just go along with what everyone else is doing. I want to know, God, what it's like to stand up for truth when everyone else is caving to a lie. I want to know what it's like to to love life and to protect life even though I may become a martyr because of it. Like, God, I want to live for you. This world is not my home. I'm just a temporary resident, a foreigner here. God, I just don't want to get up and just keep stuck back here. This should not be what we find our comfort And we shouldn't allow our past to be what keeps dictating our lives. And we can go and we can put ourselves all in to all these religious duties over and over and over again. And don't you like it? That's that's Cornelius over here, but let's look at Peter, the great apostle. God stripped him of his religion and his elitism of the of his faith. And said, Peter, this is who I am. And all your works are as filthy rags. This is what I'm done. This is what I'm doing now because this is what I purposed then. All of that was to get us here, Peter, to advance my kingdom. I mean, Peter responded, no, 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 God, I haven't even put that to my lips. God said, what are you doing? Oh, God, he was, he, he looked down on the Gentiles. They were, they were nothing to him. God says, oh, but you're going in. I'm for all, Peter. See, God wants to strip us of our religious pride and our religious attitudes and our religious works because He knows it keeps us a slave to our sin, a slave to ourselves, as if somehow we can puff ourselves up. In reality... done nothing. We don't know the ways of righteousness. We're not being trained in righteousness. We're being trained in religion. And religion is self selfish. It's all based on self. But to train up in righteousness. Go to Proverbs chapter 3. To know the difference between good and evil. And, and having the knowledge and, and then realizing that you have the knowledge so you should act upon that which is true, which is good, not which is evil. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7. 
<laughs> Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. As I said last week or the week before, we don't fear God. We've, we've, we've dwindled it down, we've weakened it down to just revere Him. Oh, but no. You are to fear Him. You say, oh, but no, I don't want to teach that because, you know, no, you better. You see, we can live our lives fearing God and not being, you know, hindered (laughs) from experience a full life in Christ. No, we need the fear of God because He needs to remain holy. The day that we begin to strip Him of His holiness, we stop fearing Him. And when we stop fearing Him, we are open season for demonic teachings. No, no. Fear God. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Turn away from evil. Go to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. What sorrow for those who say that evil is good. And we're seeing that on the streets of America. People protesting, calling that which is evil actually good. God help us. God help this nation. We need to be trained up in righteousness. Go to Romans chapter 1. Again, I wanted to take time with everything that's happening in our nation. And the way evil is rising up. To give you these scriptures and hope that you would take them and meditate upon them, learn them, live them. Romans 1, verse 28 through 32. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, listen to that. He abandoned them to do their foolish, their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers. Haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice. Oh God, hear this. There's that knowledge of God. 
They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Then I love how Paul goes into chapter 2 and then tells the church, oh, lest you forget, I'm talking to you. You sitting among the church doing the exact same thing. Listen, the day and age in which we are living, God's judgment, God's judgment, He turns people over. It's His judgment. We don't have to wait for His wrath to hit. Oh, His judgment has been declared. He will turn you over. And they had a knowledge I mean, that's what I'm thinking. I'm just like, this week I've just been praying for all of us and praying for myself. It's like, oh God, do we, are, we, are we really getting this? I mean, are we really getting this? I mean, think about your week. Think about what, you, what you've done this week, where you've put yourself this week, mentally, emotionally, Everything. Said honoring God. Did you even give God a thought? Not not religious duties. <laughs> you can read all the Bible you want. You can pray all the prayers you want. You can do this. You can do that. You can do this and that. It doesn't matter unless it's really who you are, and it's dictating your life, and it's changing your thoughts, and transforming your heart. Like, don't miss this. We are to be trained up in righteousness. Go to Romans 2, verse 6 through 8. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good. 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 (laughs) Seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. Romans 12, verse 21. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing Evil. No. You conquer it by doing good. And if you know that which is good, which is right, if you have the knowledge and you are still doing evil, do you understand? That you're going to give an account to a holy God. And all your works is going to burn up. And he's going to say, I do not know you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity, you sinner. I don't know you. And I, I really, I don't understand. 
I mean, I remember what it was like living apart from God. I posted the the rally that took place downtown the night after the decision was turned over. And that one preacher and his wife were down there. I love that he kept telling him, it's God's mercy that I'm here to declare the judgment of God and the love of God. And these people, you want to see demons? Not the person, but demons being manifested? Watch that video. Take an hour and a half and watch it. Sit there. Don't judge them. Oh, I pray it breaks your heart because it broke mine. And then I was praying for the poor pastor and his wife. I mean, you have to watch this. And then you see the level of darkness and the blasphemous. God, help us. And what are we doing? But I said, God, I was once them. I was talking to Gilda the other day. I'm driving to work and I said, baby, do you remember the things I used to do? With the cross and talking about Jesus and just, like, oh, Jesus. Like, what? There's no different than them. But it's by God's grace for each of us. It is by God's grace that He calls us out of darkness. You've been called out. Why are you still abiding there? Why do you have your tiptoe in? And it's not just to the greatest filth. It could just be lies. You could just be a liar. That's who you are. That's what you do. Stop it. You can be easily angered. Anger in itself isn't it, but you're so easily angered. Don't let the sun go down. <laughs> in fact, we're told not to even eat with you if you have an anger problem and you call yourself a Christian. <laughs> I mean, we've got to wake up. What are we doing making him so common? Poof, everyone's a Christian. Poof, everyone's a Christian. Poof, everyone's a Christian. And that's nothing but the doctrine of demons. Go to the Word. If if this is an error in which I'm preaching this, show me in the Word. (laughs) Because from Genesis to Revelation, all I see is righteous living. As the Holy God calls you out, and then empowers you with His Holy Spirit after placing your punishment upon His Son, putting Him in a tomb and raising Him up on the third day to defeat, to defeat, to defeat that which you still yoke yourself to. That nature is to be dead because it's been defeated. And yet we're supposed to just stand up and preach to the children of God 
remained yoked and enslaved to sin. But when the Bible says that the power of sin has been broken, the wages of sin are death, but the free gift of God is eternal life for those who are repentive and receive from Him. And so we're not to remain. We're to conquer evil. We're not to be conquered by it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 33 Don't be fooled by those who say such things. For bad company corrupts good character. Galatians 5 Galatians 5, verse 16 through 17. So I say, let the Holy Spirit, who? The Holy Spirit, guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly, are what? Constantly, are what? Constantly (laughs) fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. Oh, that we would be a freed people, a liberated people, a people people filled with the Spirit of God. I saw the movie Elvis yesterday. And you missed this part when you got up to use the restroom. But there is a shift. And one part that they missed about this man's life And it's it's a tragic life. Yet we see him for the performer and the entertainer that he was. But his life was miserable. And yet, there was a side of his life that longed to be spiritual. To be spiritual. In fact, when everything, when he was at the highest of his career, he was at the lowest of himself. And there was a scene in the movie where he's, he's laying, he's in, Priscilla and him are talking, and he, he's just pouring out, like he's just, he's an empty shell of a man. And Priscilla basically said, I may jumble the words, but basically she asked him, what will make you happy? And he says, I just want to get back to me. I want to get back to me. I want to get back to to basically the root of all of this, the the beginning of all of this. Which started with the Spirit of God moving upon him and his desire to sing gospel music and his desire to, 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 to grow. And 
And then just right after that scene, his whole life falls apart. Because just when he was about to get up and, and begin to do, he, he ends up being entrapped and enslaved again. See, you can have all the desire within you to do what is right. But that a desire amounts to nothing. Unless you truly get up and die to yourself and repent. You can have that desire because that desire doesn't come from something within you. That's actually of God. And then basically what you're doing is rejecting God and the desire that he gave you to do what is right. And yet you chose to do what is wrong. And yet so many people find themselves living that way. There's a desire, and that desire, again, you will never create in and of yourself. That is given by God. That desire, unless acted upon in obedience as the Holy Spirit is leading. If it's not acted upon, you're rebelling against what God has given you. And how sad. See, we're to be trained up in righteousness. There, there's a way in which we are called to live. The flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. You can't take scriptures like that and twist it to keep you enslaved to the flesh. No, it's, it's revealing to you the truth of the freedom that is found in Christ. That you can get up and live. He's given us, the Bible says, He's given us everything we need to live a godly life. I wish Christians and pastors and people would remember that. Oh, how I need to remember that. And seasons in my walk where I needed to remember that. Because it's easy to fall into the excuse, well, you just... You just don't know what I've gone through. You just don't know this. And you just don't know that. And we, make, we start making these excuses. We start giving the enemy a foothold. He develops a stronghold. And then before you know, we are in complete rebellion to a holy God who has set us free. We're to keep doing what is right. We're to keep doing what is right. We're to keep doing what is right. We're to keep enduring to the end. We are victorious in Christ. And it's about time that we start hearing that. And we get up from our complacency. Awake, awake, O sleeper. And we start living for Christ. So I pray that you would go back and you would really sit with these scriptures and really examine your heart before a holy God and allow the work of, 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 of Christ as the Holy Spirit is empowering you to transform your life so that you can go out and bear His image to those who need Him desperately. Heidelberg Catechism the last part of deliverance God the Son Lord's Day 19 well I shouldn't say last part of deliverance it's the last part of understanding 
God, the Son of God. We're going to move on to the Holy Spirit next week. But Lord's Day 19, again, this is a tool that I've given us in order for us to, to be equipped. Question 50, why the next words? And is seated at the right hand of God. Well, here's the answer. Because Christ ascended to heaven to show that there that He is the head of His church, the one through whom the Father rules all things. Verse 51, how does this glorify, how does this glory of Christ, our head, benefit us? Well, first, through His Holy Spirit, He pours out His gifts, or pours out gifts from heaven upon us, His members. Second, by His power, He defends us and keeps us safe from all enemies. Question 52. How does Christ's return to judge the living and the dead comfort you? Well, the answer. In all distress and persecution, with uplifted head, I can confidently await the very judge who has already offered himself to the judgment of God in my place and removed the whole curse from me. Christ will cast all his enemies and mine into everlasting condemnation, but will take me and all his chosen ones to himself and to the joy and glory of heaven. 1 Kings chapter 18. I alluded earlier to this portion of Scripture we're about to read. God's people, there they were thinking they were of God and yet mixing with their worship of the holy God, the true God, their mighty deliverer, they're mixing in what God told them not to do was the way that these other ways of worshiping these idols and these gods, which really are no gods of these other nations. And so now we pick ourselves up later on And the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, Go and present yourself to King Ahab. Tell him that I will soon send rain. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Meanwhile, the famine had become very severe in Samaria. So Ahab summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of the palace. Obadiah was a devoted follower of the Lord. Don't miss that. The most wickedest king and his wife, the most severe time so far in the history of Israel, God's people are totally rejecting God. God had a righteous man in the palace. Come on. And we see that all through Scripture. Look at Joseph. I mean, we see all through Scripture. Obadiah did not fall prey to the filth that was around him. And all the church should say, Amen. Obadiah was a devoted follower of the Lord. Once when Jezebel had tried to kill all the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had hidden a hundred of them in two caves. He put 50 prophets in each cave and supplied them with food and water. Ahab said to Obadiah, 
We must check every spring and valley in the land to see if we can find enough grass to save at least some of my horses and mules. So they divided the land between them. Ahab went one way by himself and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now don't miss this with this worship of Baal that's going on. I mean, this God should have been supplying the rains. But they're in a severe drought. People, it doesn't even make sense to people who worship idols or who worship these false teachings when the very nature of it is exposed, they don't turn. They will fight tooth and nail for a lie. And that just shows you the level of deception among the land. <laughs> so Obadiah was walking along. He, he suddenly saw Elijah coming toward him. Obadiah recognized him at once and bowed low to the ground before him. Is it really you, my lord, Elijah, he asked? Yes, it is, Elijah replied. Now go and tell your master, Elijah is here. Mm-hmm. Oh, sir, Obadiah protested. What harm have I done to you that you are sending me to my death at the hands of Ahab? For I swear by the Lord your God that the king has searched every nation and kingdom on earth from end to end to find you. And each time he was told, Elijah isn't here. King Ahab forced the king of that nation to swear to the truth of his claim. And now you say, go and tell your master Elijah is here. But as soon as I leave you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you away to who knows where. When Ahab comes, and, <laughs> I love this. When Ahab comes and cannot find you, he will kill me. Yes, I have been a true servant of the Lord all my life. Has no one told you, my Lord, about the time when Jezebel was trying to kill the Lord's prophets? I hid a hundred of them in two caves and supplied them with food and water. And now you say, go and tell your master, Elijah is here. Sir, if I do that, Ahab will certainly kill me. But Elijah said, I swear by the Lord Almighty, in whose presence I stand, that I will present myself to Ahab this very day. So Obadiah went to tell Ahab, that Elijah had come. And Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, So it is really you, you troublemaker of Israel. Now don't miss that. that. Don't miss out on that. The one who's actually the issue with Israel is calling the righteous prophet the troublemaker. As it was then, so it is now. You Christians are the ones who are causing all this trouble, causing all this hate, causing all this division. You're the troublemakers. There's nothing under the sun. There's no new tactics that the enemy has. I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers. (laughs) For you have refused to obey the commandments of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now, summon all of Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Ashur, who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned 
all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver? He's looking at God's people. And he's saying this to the people of God. How much longer will you waver? Hobbling between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, then follow Him. But the people were completely silent. Now they have nothing to say. Then Elijah said to them, I am, the, am I the only prophet of the Lord who is left? But Baal has 450. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood of the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God. And I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it and call on the name of your God. But do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is a god. Perhaps he is in a daydream, or perhaps he is daydreaming. Or is relieving himself. Or maybe he's away on a trip. Or is asleep and needs to be awakened. So they shouted louder and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. But still there was no sound, no reply no response, as it always will be with false gods and idols in our lives. Then Elijah called the people, come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. Think of that, you all. He took 12 stones one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. And he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull in two pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, don't miss out on this, fill four large jars with water. You remember we're in a severe famine here. And pour the water over the offering and the wood. After they had done this, he said, Do the same thing again. And when they were finished, he said, Now do it a third time. So they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar 
and even filled the trench. At the usual time of offering, the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all of this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Don't miss out on that picture of God's mercy. All of this was for God's people to respond, to turn back to God. Immediately. Even before, as he's finishing his prayer, immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, the dust, and even licked up all the water in the trench. And with all of that, the people saw, I'm sorry, when all of the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Then Elijah commanded, Seize all of these prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one of them escape. So the people seized them all. And Elijah took them down to the Kishron Valley and killed them there. Rid of them. Rid the nation of them. Again, the people's hearts were awakened to truth. They cried out to God. And yet soon we will see them fall back to their idleness because they don't fear God. As it was then, so it is now. No fear of God. So we live loose lives as if somehow that's honoring God. And ultimately, you'll have to give an account to God. Oh, that the people of God would awaken in this generation. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So Ahab went and eat and drank and drank. But Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. Then he said to the servant, Go and look out towards the sea. The servant went and looked and then returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Finally, the seventh time, his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, Hurry to Ahab and tell him, Climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. As soon, and soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm, and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked his cloak into his belt, and he ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. This is our God. This is our God. He proves himself time and time 
and time and time and time again who he is. He is faithful. He's a covenant God. He's already established what he has purposed. Remember, I keep encouraging you, God's plan, God's purpose, to have a people that he will call his own, and in return they will call him their God. From Genesis to Revelation, God's plan revealed to God's people. And now, as we are underneath this new covenant because of Christ, we have been given the Holy Spirit. We have been empowered to accomplish the good works in which God has purposed. And we are without excuse. Remember the Bible says He's given us everything to live godly lives. And oh, how I pray we will. Acts Chapter 11. God is tearing down, as I said earlier, the religious mindset. All are welcomed because of Christ and all that God purposed from the beginning. God didn't change His mind. It was from the beginning, before the earth was formed, the cross was purposed. The cross wasn't an afterthought after Adam and Eve sinned. No, it was always purposed. And it was always purposed for all to come to the saving knowledge of Christ. Israel was set aside so that Christ can come through this nation, through the lineage of David. Everything that God purposed and planned, Christ fulfilled in and through Himself. So of us trying to live apart from Christ, but to represent Christ, it doesn't make sense. We're to be in Christ. We're to remain in Christ. We have been given the power of the Holy Spirit, God Himself in us, through us, to reveal Christ to a dying world. And so now Peter has been humbled. He's been sent to Cornelius. He shares the gospel with a God-fearing man. Like I said, there's a lot of God-fearing people, God-fearing religions in this earth. But they're not saved. Salvation does not belong to them because they are rejecting God's Son, Jesus. Cornelius was a God-fearing man. God sent Peter to share the gospel so Cornelius can be saved. And not only, only Cornelius, but his household. And so now we find in chapter 11, Paul has to, I mean, Peter has to explain his actions to the church. Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. Remember, there was a second Pentecost. The Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles. <laughs> but when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of, the, of, of Gentiles and even ate with them? 
they said. Then Peter told them exactly what had happened. I was in the town of Joppa, Joppa, he said, and while I was praying, I went into a trance and saw a vision. Something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners from the sky, and it came right down to me. When I looked inside the sheet, I saw all sorts of tame and wild animals, reptiles and birds, and I heard a voice say, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. Oh, no, Lord, I replied. I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice from heaven spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. This happened three times before the sheet and all of it, all of that it contained was pulled back up to heaven. Just then, three men who had been sent from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were staying. The Holy Spirit told me to go with them and not to worry that they were Gentiles. These six brothers here accompanied me, and we soon entered the house of the man who had sent for us. He told us how an angel had appeared to him in his home and had told him, send messengers to Joppa and summon the man named Simon Peter. He will tell you how you and everyone in your household can be saved. As I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he fell on us at the beginning. Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when he believed, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. Oh, that we would stand for the gospel and not just go along with every doctrine and every false teaching that is out there granting everyone salvation. No, that we would stand for the gospel, that we would preach the gospel, that we would preach the real Jesus. There's a lot of false Jesuses out there. But that we would love people enough to care about their eternities more than their temporalness. And I love when Peter says, who am I to get in God's way? This is what God has called us to. To go forth and declare the good news that it's through Christ and Christ alone that salvation comes. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution of Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. Oh, can the church see what's happening? <laughs> when the church at Jerusalem heard what, what happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith, and many people who were brought to the Lord. 
Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. During this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Abagus, stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. Look at that, y'all. Community. This they did in trusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. Listen, God is moving then, God is moving now, and God will continue to move leading up to the day of His return. Are you about your Father's business? Are you living in genuine intimacy with Christ? Are you among community of believers that are doing the will of God? Don't live a life of just religious works. They would never amount to anything. Do you know Jesus? Have you accepted Jesus? Have you called upon the name of the Lord Jesus? Are you saved? Do you have that, that, that faith and, and that confession and that belief that He is the Son of God and that He is risen from the dead? If that is your faith, if that is your belief, if that is your confession, do you understand what those words mean? It will transform your life. As I talked about earlier, that you should be trained up in righteousness to live out the truth among a wicked and perverse generation. You don't have to cower down or sit down. No, God has purposed you for now. God has purposed you for now. Again, not to live your best life now, but to live for God and a crooked and wicked and perverse generation to go forth and declare the good news to all nations. To all nations. Not falling for these doctrines of demons that are trying to pollute the church. But to stand up for righteousness. For Jesus' sake. Let's go to Psalm, coming to an end. Psalm 135. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise Him. You who serve the Lord. You who serve in the house of the Lord. In the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord. For the Lord is good. Celebrate His lovely name with music. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for Himself. Israel for His own special treasure. I know the greatness of the Lord. That the Lord is greater than any other God. The Lord does whatever He pleases throughout all heaven and earth and all the seas and in, the de- and in their depths. He causes the clouds to rise over the whole earth. He sends the lightning with the rain and releases the wind from His storehouses. He destroyed the firstborn in each Egyptian home, both people and animals. 
He performed miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt against Pharaoh and all of his people. He struck down great nations and slaughtered mighty kings. Cheyenne, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, and the kings of Canaan. He gave their land as an inheritance, a special possession to his people. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your fame, O Lord, is known in every generation. For the Lord will give justice to his people and have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are merely things of silver and gold shaped by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear and noses but cannot smell. And those who make idols are just like them, as are all who trust in them. O Israel, praise the Lord. O priests, descendants of Aaron, praise the Lord. O Levites, praise the Lord. All who fear the Lord, praise the Lord. The Lord is praised from Zion, for he lives here in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. O church, praise the Lord. Know of his mighty acts, of his fame. Declare them to this generation. Oh, how they need to know the Lord. Proverbs, two nuggets of wisdom. Proverbs 17, 12 through 13. It is safer to meet a bear robbed of her cubs. Oh God, hear this. Than to confront a fool caught in foolishness. If you repay good with evil, evil will never leave your house. Oh God, may we respond to the reading of the word today in obedience as the Holy Spirit leads us. I'm going to close us with this song of worship and then I'll close us in prayer. Some way we die. 
Thank you, Lord.